Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. Once in a generation, a mind comes along, a mind that understands more than the average person. And now he gives you the chance to ask the burning questions in your mind. It's time for Ask Dudley. Hey folks, this is Rob Kenny with the Gamekeeper crew and Dudley. And uh, we're going to try something a little new right now. We get all sorts of questions, particularly for Dudley. And it seems that towards the end of the podcast, we never quite have enough time to do your questions justice. So... In light of that, what we're going to do is we're going to try to have a series of Ask Dudleys, and these are going to be bonus episodes. So what we basically have decided to do is to say, all right, we've got this person who knows a lot about dendrology and wildflowers and native grasses and all manner of odd things and wonderful things, and we have someone who knows quite little. And so we figured that between the questions that we get and then the questions that I have, Somewhere along the lines, we're going to answer questions that listeners have. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to do it. So this is the pilot episode. It's up to y'all whether or not we keep doing this. So. Uh-oh. Pressure's <laughs> I'm on. I'm a little nervous. So Dudley, I was kind of thinking topics that we cover, trees and natives. Yeah. I mean, we can, yeah, we're going to be covering that kind of stuff every week. Yeah. Wildflowers and grasses and why they matter. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm thinking tips and techniques for planting, propagating, seeding, amending soil, grafting, and all these topics that we may mention in what we'll call the Tuesday podcast, um, the main podcast, but we don't really dive into at depth. Correct. So that's kind of the point of of this little thing we're trying. Right. I mean, and I do this every day on the computer and on the phone, so we're just trying to put some audio to it. That's right. So the idea is... Dudley's answering questions all day. We might as well put them on the air so that more than just the person who asked them can benefit from them. Exactly. Okay. And we like talking about this stuff anyway. That's right. That's right. Um, so really, I guess without let's, any kind of further fussing. Yeah, let's just. You just want to dive right into questions? Yeah, let's just dive right in. Okay. You want me to ask the first one or do you have one in, in mind? Um, why don't you ask the first one? Okay. The first question that we have for today is, I hunt on a lease on a timber company land where we can't burn or harm trees, but we can plant openings. What would you do for turkeys if this was your place to hunt? Okay. Um, And that, yeah, that's a common question because there's so much land out there that's timber company land. And their main goal is growing high volumes of timber. 
And so some of these practices we like to do, uh, they're not necessarily, even though they're charging you a recreational fee to use their land, they're not so keen on trusting somebody to run a fire through their place right, or, right. or things like that. And so, um, you know, I hunt on that. We all know people that hunt timber company land and deal with the same problem. So, uh, you know, one of the first things I would do is, is obviously look at all your openings and see what you have to work with, but, um, not trying to dog out the food plots because they're very important, especially on a hunting lease where you're not really allowed to manage outside of your opening. So you can't go in and cut trees down to get more sunlight on the ground, things like that. So, all you have really is your openings unless they go in there and do some kind of thinning or clear cutting. Um, so, uh, but we're talking mainly about turkeys. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, uh, everybody wants to go and work and get something accomplished, but you may can get away with less work. So uh, when you have that spring work day, somebody's going to want to crank the tractor up and start right, bush hogging. Right. We were talking about that the other day with all the bush hogging that we were talking about some guys wanting to do, but how right now that's not really a good time to do it because of like turkeys might be nesting or using it. And just right. because you have it doesn't mean you need to use it. Exactly. And that's tempting and understandable. Yeah. And yeah. aside from running over a nest, I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind is running over a nest, but you're also cutting all you know you're erasing their habitat uh and the habitat of of the turkeys and of bugs and of bugs they're gonna be bugging on exactly so uh but you know just say that was a a food plot say you planted a blend like our green patch plus you know brassicas cereal grains clovers uh i'd probably just let some of that stuff go yeah um and you know weeds will come in you disked it in the fall and so you disturb the seed bed. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be weeds coming up in there. Um, and mowing that would be exactly what you wouldn't want to do. Um, well, so so going back to the original question of, of the openings, you know, work weekend, guy's going to want to crank a tractor. Yeah, uh, don't. Uh, you know, if, if you've got some roads that are rutted out, you know, maybe you can go and maintain some roads and things like that. But don't even crank the tractor. Um, so you're just talking top sewing or what specifically are you talking about doing? Well, I mean, if you really want to do something, you know, you could always scatter some kind of wildflower, native grass seed, something like that yeah. when you're planting your fall plots. So you, uh, you know, some kind of ragweed, you know, coreopsis, things like that, that uh, might come up through that food plot. Uh, in the spring and the summer but on the same note you know you've got clover that you planted i mean you want to leave some of that clover you can't let all of it fallow so yeah you might want to crank up a bush hog uh right before they start nesting and and cut like a little corner of every field back that might be your little strutting zone or where they go to nip at the clover but keep in mind a lot of that clover is still going to be fine underneath that tall stuff yeah other things so i'm assuming that most of these openings on these timber companies are going to be either like a logging deck or a road of some sort correct are there things that that guys can plant that are more trying to figure out exactly how to say it that are that are more hardy if driven over 
Because if there are roads and there's guys checking trees, I mean, yeah, you, they're going to drive through your stuff. I yeah. mean, so does clover recover well over being driven on? Like it, so? it does okay, but they, you know, folks typically stay in the tracks. Um, and also on a lot of the, you know, timber companies, they love to have good access. And so they really do maintain their roads well, and they're typically pretty wide because they're going to have to get trucks and equipment in and out. So, so, are, so are you thinking and talking about planning on the perimeter, on the edges, the boundaries? Are you planting the center line too, just in case it doesn't get run over? Right. I mean, I thinking? think just by default, if you're broadcasting, you're not going to be able to avoid broadcasting stuff on the, on the top of the tracks. Okay. So, uh, you know, some of those little tracks and puddles, you know, turkeys like puddles and looking for tadpoles and things like that. So uh, even that's good to have. Gotcha. Um, you just don't want to go in there and clean it all up. Um, and then, you know, you've got things like power lines. Uh, treat it like an opening. Uh, yeah, like yeah. you said, most of them are really small logging decks. Um, and they'll have uh, little openings in the bottoms. I mean, they know that uh, these people that are paying to hunt there need food plots. So there's going to be a few food plots most of the time. Okay. Uh, now, one thing you don't want to do, and, and there's, uh, there's some new science where, uh, you know, you don't want to have feeders, you know, when there's poults running around that corn may be on the ground too long and have aflatoxin. But, uh, also those feeders could be attracting a bunch of coons and things. And the last thing you want is a bunch of coons hanging out your little thick logging deck that is supposed to be nesting and or yeah. brooding cover. Yeah. So uh, I would probably get rid of the feeders, uh, you know, and if you do want to feed, I'd, I'd probably put them back, you know, maybe in August or something. Okay. September. All right. So that that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, and then it, it may be a little bit different for folks that are wanting to focus more on deer. But if we're talking about, you know, ground nesting birds like turkeys, that's what I would do. Okay. All right. So move, moving on, we're going to try to keep this podcast as moving and grooving as we can. So the next question is, what can I do to make my newly planted trees thrive in their first growing season? So in other words, just get their best start right. possible. That's probably the most common question yeah. I get. Yeah. So we, we need to knock that one well, out. Uh, so also let's assume this guy or gal planted in January. Right. Okay. What are you, what are you doing in May? What are you doing right now? Well, um, I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack a little bit on that. Uh, so the first thing you want to do, even though the question was, what do you do after you planted? You, you definitely want to pick a good site. So before mm. we go into the maintenance, Make sure it has full sun. You know, uh, if you're wanting these trees to grow fast, if you tuck them into the armpit of a of a food plot that doesn't get sun yeah. except from 12, you know, from lunch until 4 o'clock, it's not going to grow fast. And those tree tubes that we love, they do block a little bit of light. So mm -hmm. uh, they really need to be in almost full sun. So, so put the right tree on the right site. Put it out where it gets good full sun. Full um, sun for the whole day or full sun for parts of the day? Just most of the day. Most of I the day. I mean, you're, okay. you know, unless you just have a absolute wide open field that gets sun. I mean, that's not always common. But try to put them where they get more sun than not. Okay. Um, and then, so 
you get them in the ground. I like to tell folks to get them in the ground sooner than later so they have time to root in. Uh, so plant mm-hmm. in the fall if you can. Uh, if not, as soon as deer season's over, or if you don't mind going in there during deer season and it's not too cold like you're up north, get them in the ground in December or January. Let them be rooting in. So they'll have that many more roots before the proverbial summer drought hits. Uh, so you got your trees in the ground, you've got tubes on them, uh, you have that flush of growth in the spring. And, you know, one week you go and everything looks like winter, mm-hmm. you come back the next week and all the stuff in your fields has just taken off. Um, that would be a good time to spray some glyphosate, uh, a non-selective herbicide. Now, are you, are you spraying like... A one foot diameter around the base of the tree? Are you doing two feet? Like yeah, I usually try to do a two to three foot okay. radius around radius, each tree. Okay. Um, so my foot is actually about a foot long, so I can kind of eyeball it. Yeah, but, just three of those. Yeah, yeah two to three of those. Okay. And uh, just walk a little circle around your tree. It doesn't have to be to the point of runoff. Kill that grass. Uh, wait till it's dead. And if you really want to, push things along, put some mulch around it. Okay. That way, moisture, one thing, the sun isn't hitting the surface. So the the root zone is going to be a little bit cooler in the heat of the summer. Uh, mulch, you're also going to add life to the soil. There's going to be little worms and bugs and things that get under there, help that mulch decompose, and then you're you're putting a little bit of life I gotcha. in the soil. What about, what about fertilizers or those sorts of things? Yeah. We're going to get there in a second. Oh, I like so it. Okay. You got more. The, you've got water trying to evaporate out of the ground. Well, it hits that mulch and just directs it back to your roots. It's kind of like when you're driving down the highway in the, uh, in the summertime and you see everything is greener right on the edge of the pavement. That's because it's taking advantage of that moisture that's trapped. So that's what the beauty of mulch is. Never um, even considered that. And then you can spray a, a tiny little circle around that mulch uh, because there's going to be weeds that are going to do that exact thing. They're going to try to take advantage of that moisture mm. right on the edge of your mulch. So if you're not into spraying, you can avoid that and just use mulch. But if you are and your goal is to grow them fast, do both. Um, and in the meantime, yes, fertilize. Um Typically, you want to use some kind of slow release, like a coated fertilizer like Osmocote. Can you just mix that in with the mulch? Uh, I like to, just like you would side dress corn, I like to put a small amount just a few inches away from the roots that the roots can grow into and get what they want. Hmm. Um, Does that also encourage just root growth in general? It does. to, to To like reach out and go get it? It does. Usually just one little root or something will find that and can direct it back wow. to the rest of the plant. That's so cool. You don't want to dump a bunch of salty fertilizer over the whole root zone. So you're just putting it in one spot that the roots can access. And when um, you say just a little bit, are you are you literally just referring to like a little teaspoon size? Usually about, a, usually about a heaping tablespoon or a tablespoon. I like to put it about an inch deep. You don't want to put it under the roots because nitrogen sinks really quickly. So you want it to be close to the surface and maybe uh, four to five inches away from the main stem. Um, And then we have a fertilizer that we designed on our website that's a slow release. It's got some organic fertilizer mixed in. 
um, in a pinch, uh, a slow release product called Osmocote works pretty good too. That's, that's basically the gist of it. You want to pull the tubes up two or three times a summer, uh, prune any little suckers that pop up from the, you know, lower portion of the stem, um, things like that. But if, if you're not looking at them, you may find some kind of deformity that you need to prune off, something like that. You got to check them. And there may be ants building nests inside your tube, you know, oh, things yeah. like that. Okay. Um, well, so. we'll put uh, we'll put a link to that slow release fertilizer in the show notes if anyone wants to check that out. Okay. Same thing with the wildflowers as well that we talked about in the first question. Okay, this question comes from a listener who has a hog problem. Okay. Okay. This person asks, what can I do to plant trees in an area with hogs? Meaning, okay. I guess, to protect them from getting rooted and eaten and knocked down or walked on or... Yeah, they're, um, they're evil. And, uh, <laughs> anytime they, they will, they will smell that the, the potting soil, the tree was grown in is a little different, uh, and it just attracts them and they want to, they want to dig it up. Um, and the, the very first orchard that we put in where some of our earliest YouTube videos were done on the native nurseries, YouTube page had a tremendous population of hogs and we learned the hard way right off the bat. Oh um, man. But uh, one thing that works really well is you can get a roll of, uh, you know, that welded wire fencing. Um, I usually like to get the five or six foot. That way you can have about a three, two and a half, three foot Mm -hmm. uh, circle. Or you could just cut squares Um, and you just cut a little bitty circle out where you can slide that over the tube when you're done planting. And you could even cut a little line out. So, you, you know, once the tree has rooted in and grown for a few years, you know, you wouldn't be able to slide it off. So if you go ahead and cut a slit in it, <laughs> you can take it off. Yeah. But uh, that keeps them from being able to paw and root in the, you know, in the vicinity of the root zone. Okay. I suppose that would have a benefit for, for deer and not eating the tops out as well, right? Well, no, I'm talking about laying this flat on the ground. Almost, oh, wow. almost I like it. I didn't even think, I thought you were talking yeah. about around, around. Yeah. So you literally mean... Right at the base. Right on the ground. So when you're done planting that tree, cut a little circle out from your square of fencing and slide that so it's on the ground. It's like mulch. You know, you could even put mulch on top of it. All right. So what you're saying is also hogs aren't really going to mess with the actual tree itself. They're just trying to dig it up. and They're trying to dig it up. Wow. Okay. I just, uh, I just learned something you've new. You've already right got there. the tube around it. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, you don't Man. want the tree to grow into it, but uh-huh. once that tree is good and established, yeah, they may dig around the roots some, but yeah. you know, you probably want to get that out of the way before the tree is three, you know, when the tree's three, four, five years old. Okay. Okay. There you go. That's what I was wondering. All right. So I guess getting to a different question. So a listener asks, how do I keep deer from eating the tops out of my trees once they exit the tree tubes? And that's a big problem. Um, a lot of folks like to go with a much taller tree tube, like a, a five or six footer, um, to where, you know, the deer could get on their leg, back legs and still not reach that tender succulent growth growing out of the top of a fertilized tree. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's face it, you know, tree tubes are awesome. Their one con is that the trees grow kind of tall and spindly for the first few years. It forces upright vertical growth yeah and that can be at the expense of a little bit of diameter growth but when a tree is able to get out of the tube and branch out 
it can then begin uh, building up the energy to put on some diameter growth to where it can stand up on its own. So we like to use those four foot tree tubes for that reason. We want to get, we want them to get up and out of that tube and start putting on some girth. So uh, you can do a few things. Uh, Toxie has several uh, folks around town that cut hair and he collects, you know, so you can put a little bit of hair down in the tube. So when they get close, they smell it and back away. You can spray some of that deer away type stuff. So go out there in June or July, right when the trees where in the top is about to exit the tube, put some of that deer away on it. Uh, You know, maybe come back a month later, do it again. You know, the idea is to get that growth out of reach. Okay. Um, And usually once it branches out good, it for some reason doesn't become a problem. They really just like that terminal growth. Yeah. Um, And so that's, that's, that's what we do. Is that just because it's the newest, softest, most palatable? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, all right. Here's another question. So I have a feeling you're going to say a lot of them, but <laughs> or all of them. I feel like if Toxie was sitting here, he'd say every one of them. But uh, so what oaks are most important? And I think maybe what this person is really getting at is wh- what on a per tree kind of basis yeah. – what oaks provide the most value to the land, like habitat, forage, shade, et cetera? Right. Like, a, is there a particular species? Well, I, I think I know what they're getting at. Um, everybody loves white oaks, and, and we always think deer when we're talking about oaks, but uh, oaks are fantastic for all kinds of things, not only because they drop acorns, but because they host so many different species of insects. Yeah. Way more than any other genus of of trees out there weren't you telling me something about something like hundreds of different species of moths yeah so there was a guy named doug talamy yeah uh, who did a bunch of research on that um he's you know he's got this uh, instagram page homegrown national park okay Uh, you can learn more about what he does but uh yeah i mean he was finding like two to three hundred different species of you know, butterfly and moth larvae that, you know, inhabit these trees. That's what turkeys wow. eat. That's what little birds eat. Yeah. Um, so these bagworms or silkworms or whatever that we're seeing around in South Carolina, I swear you couldn't take a step without getting into them. I'm sure the turkeys were full of them. Are those moths? Yeah, they eventually become some type of flying, you know, flying insect yeah. like a moth. or Yeah, because I know the tendency is to, especially the way they get into pecan trees, yeah. the tendency is to try to get rid of them the second they form but, but well i mean if if you're patient. a pecan farmer yeah maybe but uh it usually doesn't hurt the tree that much and so, that, that's bird food i got you. we're kind of getting off into another i know I really know good there. topic uh yeah but uh you know they also make acorns um yeah. and and everybody wants to plant white oaks because that's what deer like to eat the most yeah um but they're also one of the first ones to be gone um, and you mean so, not producing the whole season. Like. Well, yeah, they, that's the first thing they eat. Uh, a lot, most of the white oaks typically don't drop late, but they also sprout quickly and send down a root, uh, you know, and then they become less palatable to deer and things. Uh, that's why I think red oaks are so cool and, and other people are starting to figure that out. So you go scouting in February before turkey season 
go look underneath white oaks and go look underneath red oaks. You're going to see the most scratching by far underneath red oaks because hmm. they're they're more often than not smaller acorns. The deer don't normally hit on them until later on into the fall and the winter because all the white yeah. oaks are gone or have sprouted. Um, and I particularly like the small acorn red oaks because a you know a turkey can fit that into their and uh, they don't auto sprout. They kind of get hidden under the leaves, and so that's what the deer and turkeys are pawing up all winter long when they've eaten everything else in the woods. So when you say red oak. Are you referring to a family of a couple different sorts of oaks? Yeah. So okay. what are in those? the States here, we have red and white, and there's a really weird word for both of them. The The red section, it's a taxonomic section. Okay. They're, section. they're actually both both in the same family okay. um, with beeches and chestnuts. But the, the taxonomic section is either red or white. Um, the non-native sawtooth is in its own taxonomic section. Um and so that's, you know, the reds, they're re- that's what I would focus on if I'm planting trees. I'm usually going to plant at least 60% reds. Okay. Um, if I'm walking around in the woods doing timber stand improvement, I'm going to focus on the reds. So say someone was looking through on the Native Nurseries website, what, what are some red oak varieties that they should look at? Um, well, you know, here in the South, there's just so many different oaks. Uh, in the North, you can be a little bit more limited. But red oaks are like northern red oak, southern red oak, cherry bark, willow oak, water oak, shumard, wow, so to a name lot. a few. Yeah. Okay, that's really, that's really, I'm taking notes. I'm writing <laughs> stuff down. Let's talk about field edges. Oh. So someone who, um, this is actually my brother, Ben Kinney, he owns some land that he leases to a farmer. Okay, And he's trying to figure, you know, are there places that he can plant on the field edge, whether it's wildflowers, whether it's mulberries, whether like, what are some, what are some ideas? Cause I imagine there's a fair amount of people listening to this podcast who do just that lease portions of right. the land. They, they own land and a bunch of it is, is, yeah. is crop. That's right. So tillable. What are some things that they can do on edges, boundaries, roadways, whether it's just normal logging roads or access? Well, you know, they own the land. So you can do whatever you want, but you know, some of those farmers may not want to fool with some of these corners and things, and you could take them out of production, turn that into, you know, thick bedding cover or something. What you usually see on edges of farm fields is these older trees with branches that stick out like 30 or 40 feet into the field. Yeah. And I would say, you know, a lot of those, uh, you know, you can hack and squirt them. You can cut the limbs back. Um, you can cut them down. You can girdle them. Maybe you can get a, a, a logging crew in there to, to take out a 10 or 20 yard swath on the edge of the field. So instead of going out into the field and, and taking it out of production, which you totally can do, it's your yeah. land, but you're going to lose that income. Sure. Why not go into the woods a little bit Make a hole. and create some of that edge effect? Hmm outside of the field and uh but but yeah i mean you can do all kinds of stuff on those edges okay what would be like three simple things that somebody could could do right away well i mean you could try to establish some native grasses okay Uh, you could do you know wildflowers you could do both you could plant things like chickasaw plum or some other shrubby species that that are good cover do do those do well in partial 
they'll do well wherever they're planted. They'll figure it out. Or well, yeah, stuff like Mexican plum. Uh, you mentioned mulberry. Yeah, those are good to plant on the edge. They they seem to find a way to lean out and get the sunlight they need. Yeah, and then they're normally over like walkways or stuff. Yeah, and had, then they're dropping fruits out onto that bare ground when they do drop. And so it's just really accessible. Cool. Okay. I like that. Um, what are some commonly overlooked habitat management practices that pay pay dividends? So something that we might not have talked about on either the Gamekeeper podcast or yeah. other um, formats. Of course, we talk about burning so much. I almost feel like we cover it too much. Yeah. It's like it's getting old or cliche or something, but... <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is hack and squirt. I absolutely love doing that. You can even take it with you to the deer woods and put on a headlamp and do some hack and squirt when you're walking out, you know. So most of my family land is uh, pine plantation. And so, you know, I may drive the truck and and get three or four hundred yards from the stand and then walk my way in. Well, Put a hatchet and a and a squirt bottle in your backpack and put on your headlamp. And when you're walking out, uh, you can, you know, a lot of these roads, and especially in your pine plantations, get filled in with hardwoods and things on the edges. And yeah. so you can hack and squirt your, if you want to, your some of your sweet gums, some of your elms. Well, look, there's a Mexican plum. I'm going to miss that. There's okay. some Chickasaw plum. There's a persimmon. I'm going to miss that. And so while you're doing that, you're creating edge cover. Yeah. Um, there's going to be more sunlight. Um, and so when you say edge cover, you're hacking it and it's just falling over in place. They usually, usually the smaller branches die first and fall. And then the next, you know, yeah. your inch diameter stuff, they don't normally fall over. They normally just fall straight down gotcha. over time. So you're leaving a snag for your woodpeckers and stuff. And, uh, hmm. Then you're adding sunlight and uh, you're taking away some of that root competition. So some of your, low, you know, your mid-store, you know, your s- shorter species can thrive there. Blackberries, things like that. Okay. When you say snag, what do you mean? Snag is a, like a dead tree. Okay. That's just rotten away. And and that's a good place for them for getting grubs and everything. Yes. It's going to end up breaking that down. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I just hadn't heard that. And uh, yeah, I mean, and and you can go into the middle of woods, just say you've got a bunch of hardwoods that my buddy Martin coined it vacuum cleaner woods. It's just, there's so much of a canopy that there's nothing growing underneath. And a lot of that is beautiful, but you want some thick stuff in those big hardwoods. So you can go in there and hack and squirt and, uh, you know, just say you've got a big oak that's got a split trunk or something and it isn't very highly productive. You can take that tree out and just leave it standing, and then all of a sudden some sunlight can come in and have some thick stuff grow in there, or a or a big old elm, or a big old green ash. You know, take some of that stuff out sporadically um, and get some more sunlight on the ground. Get okay. Some, get some bedding cover, nesting cover. Your animals will like that a lot, and it, it's yeah. actually a lot of fun to do. So... <laughs> I'm just trying to think. So, what are you? What are you taking in? So, you're just talking about like a old Windex bottle, or a yeah. I mean, you can buy a fancy bottle if you want to. I, I typically uh, I like to use Arsenal. The, the chemical name is Amazapir. Okay, um, and it works usually on about at least eighty to ninety percent of the species that 
you're wanting to hack and squirt. There's folks that use like a three-way mix. I, I don't normally bother with that unless there's one species I'm really trying to get rid of. Yeah. That, uh, a mazapir doesn't work well on. Obviously, read the label, but usually the label is going to say uh, mix it to a certain percent solution and you make one hack for every three inches in diameter. Um, so if it's a Let's try to do some math here. If, it, if it's a nine-inch tree, you're going to put three hacks in it all the way around. Three hacks and one squirt in each hack. So there is there there is a real – it's not just mauling it up and then just – No. No, it's a, it's a real – Yeah, there's a, there's a formula, and it's right there on the label. It's really fun to come back the next year and, and see that tree, you know, doesn't leaf out. And then to come and see the progression of green stuff growing on the ground underneath that tree. Yeah. And, you know, that may be where a turkey decides to lay a nest someday in that little thick spot. Okay. Is there a a way that you can cut these that doesn't create a hazard? Like, is there a, is there a way that you could do this the wrong way? Well, um, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want your buddy that didn't know you hacked and squirted to try to climb that tree the next deer season you know something like that i mean if you want to go the extra step you could probably flag it or that's what i'm saying for a larger tree should you tape it should you have a little spray paint maybe you you could dot on it. yeah something like that and just warn folks okay Um, but yeah i've I've never heard of that accident happening but it's it's not impossible well it so if if it would happen to anybody it'd be me or my brother we'd (laughs) We find we're magnets for misfortune. So, okay. This is a question from uh, one of my friends. He has been trying to do some revitalization to a hardwood block, a bottomland hardwood block that he has tried to get water off of that he has been so far mostly unsuccessful in getting all the water off. Some of that is due to a wet spring. Some of that is due to how their neighbors are managing water and how that's pushing a lot of water onto him. Mm-hmm. So he's had some die off of some big oaks. And so he's in the process of trying to get oaks back. He bought a bunch of nut alls and some other stuff from us. So he's in the process of trying to get those to take root. What would you, what are some tips? I mean, how do you get the water off the property? Is is it a matter of, does he just need to actually build a little levee around where he's trying to protect it? And so the water goes somewhere else on his property. I mean, the, what he might, he might have to. Okay. Um, and I, you know, Aside from calling a lawyer, um, that may be the first step is to try to be nice about it at first, get to know them, and then explain the situation. You know, sometimes if it's something you can't control, I mean, you've got to have the water off for stuff to get established. Yeah. Um, So um, So if there's any water on it, you have to wait for that water to get all the way out before you put any new trees in, right? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, you know, nut all is probably the second most flood tolerant oak there is behind overcup, but it still is going to do better if it doesn't yeah. flood, it especially when it's young and yeah. trying to get tall. So you got to figure out where that water's going. Um, and of course, uh, you know, some of these environmental agencies, when you're talking about wetlands, there, there can be some, uh, some laws and such surrounding yeah. that. So yeah. you, you need to check and see what's legal before you, Take a bunch of equipment out and start there, yanking water off, of and property. start yanking water yeah. off a of property. Um, okay, sometimes that can come back to bite you. Yeah. But uh, this man. is this is an area that historically would dry out because I mean he would flood it and then he'd pull boards and it would drain, and now he pulls his boards and it drains, and then they pull their boards and he floods. 
Yeah. He's probably just going to have to work on his lower end and make sure that when that second batch of water comes through that it's yeah it's going to continue going. Yeah. Maybe it's a matter of trying to catch it before it gets pulled instead of trying to get it off once it's there. Yeah. Is that if that makes Yeah. if that makes but, sense. But I mean if if you can divert it in some way. Yeah. You know, if you can get a track hoe in there or whatever equipment you need yeah. to divert it. Do that. Uh, do that. Okay. Um, but the first thing I would do uh, is just go give the Good. neighboring landowner a handshake and offer him a beverage and get to know him and yeah. uh, try to work through it together. Well, maybe I mean, invite him to come over and look at what it's doing as well. I mean, yeah. maybe something like that would be a good good technique yeah like that's that. a tough situation it, it, yeah and it i bet it i bet it happens more often than not yeah um i've actually had that phone call a couple times man before okay and i guess a, a two-parter so for for other guys who are trying to establish hardwoods and bottomland areas that they intend to flood probably for duck hunting or a m- number of other things how would you go about planting and protecting the trees that have been put in place of others that have died out if that makes sense yeah um we talked about sunlight earlier and, and varieties sorry and, and varieties and, yeah of plant and how important sunlight is so mm-hmm. If you just have one little gap in the woods, that's going to be harder to get those trees up. But okay. if you've had considerable amount of die off, then you're you're almost full sun. And yeah. so, uh, one, every duck hunter wants to be able to hunt every hole every year. But sometimes you have to have uh, some sacrificial years if you want those trees to get up and go. So you put it, you put the trees in there, and then you leave it alone, so you're not walking all over the roots when it's muddy and and not flood it. And not flood it. So, mm. uh, you know, you talk to somebody that's got a bunch of old catfish ponds or they're in a club where there's yeah. 10 or 12 different holes to to manage and hunt. It might be easier. But if this is your only spot yeah, and you you can't flood it every year, that can that can be yeah. a little depressing. But you're trying to grow oaks yeah. in, a, in an impoundment. So you just have to. It's just like it's the same as somebody wanting to establish wildflowers when the field is full of fescue. Yeah. You've, you've got to have that sacrificial time to get rid of the fescue or to let those trees get four, five, six, seven years old before you just start flooding them. Is there any merit to if he sees trees that are sick, do you? try to get the water off and save those? Or do you just say, you know what, we'll get the water off, but we're going to come in here and we're going to cut out a hole. We're going to cut out 20 of these trees, maybe log them, maybe do something else with them and just restart in an area instead of saying, well, it may take five years for these trees to die, but I'd rather have a five-year-old seedling yeah. instead of a dead tree. I would I would years. say a little bit of both. Okay. I mean, some of those old gnarly trees are, are good for wildlife. You know, you got nesting spots for wood ducks and things like that. that. Yeah. And uh, if you do start managing it better, they'll be able to come back to life. And a lot of times stressed trees are the ones that make a heavy crop. So I'd probably do a little bit of both. Interesting. Um, and, and then some of the, spe- you know, you hinted on some species. Up north, usually pin oaks are that small acorn red that, that you want in a duck hole. Um, and further down south where we hunt a lot of flooded timber, nutall and willow oak are probably the, the king. Gotcha. Um, okay. And then in some of the more, uh, when you start getting more shallow, you can get into the water oaks and the cherry barks uh, that, that can still handle flooding. They just not as long of a duration. I gotcha. Okay. 
Well, I think we'll we'll probably call it there. We've got all kinds of questions. I mean, that's this is why we're doing these episodes. Okay. Is just to try to get to as many of us as we can. So guys, if y'all have questions and gals, if y'all have questions, you can send us to them on the Gamekeeper website. You can, do we have an Ask Dudley at Gmail? I mean, do we? No, not yet, but you can always do nursery at mossyoak.com. Okay, okay. And that'll that'll get to me. Great. So send Dudley a question. You can send me a question. Uh, send it to the nursery. I mean, we'll we'll aggregate these in some form or fashion, but you know, depending on the question, we may actually call you. And maybe see if you want to come on the show and get a, and give us some more background to your questions. Yeah, so, I'd love that. Yeah, yeah. We, could, we could record get the question. Some, get some interaction. Um, the other thing we're going to do is we're going to have a word of the day. Ah. So if you say something that I think needs to be defined a little bit more or somebody may be curious, um, what is an aflatoxin? Oh, my gosh. That gets confusing. So. An aflatoxin is a, uh, it's a fungus that can grow on corn and such, other grains. And I believe it is from the genus Aspergillus. So is it pretty mean? I mean, it doesn't sound very good. Um, it's not good. Okay. And it, you know, uh, does it have an immediate toxic effect or does it have like an enduring cumulative? I think it's a little, I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. Um, and I'm not an expert on this and I would usually default to like my buddy, uh, Mike Chamberlain or Marcus Lashley to, yeah, to help us out more on this. And, okay. and there's even some, you know, farming experts that know a lot about it. I remember one year near our duck camp, pretty much all the corn that these guys were farming in that area was rejected because of, you know, this was like in the late nineties, early two thousands because the aflatoxin was too high. And it, it, mm. it formed on the plant. That's not good. But okay. uh, yeah, I mean, it can, I think it affects like organ function uh, the liver, things like that. Um, and it especially affects younger animals like turkey poults in the summertime. You don't want to pour your corn on the ground and it sit there. Yeah. I think that study said, uh, if it's on the ground for four days or more, it's basically going to have it Okay. Um, in, in concentrations that can hurt animals. This brings up another question. If you have someone who is legally supplementing feeding for for turkey or deer or anything should they be really being careful about how much they put out and picking it up if it's not yeah i mean really who's going to go back and pick it all up so you just want to make sure you're you know if you're using those spin feeders only put out enough that they can eat in one sitting okay um even when you're starting out you know turn it down to like one second until they find it and then the next time you go back turn it up to four yeah. or five, whatever, you know. Um, I think that's so, a really good tip there. Okay. And, uh, man, don't pile it up. Just don't, in gotcha. my opinion. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, cool. I'm always about habitat before you get into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a way, that's one of the higher holes on the bucket. Okay. Handle all the lower holes on the bucket before you get into feeding, I like in my it. opinion. I like it. Okay. Well, anything, any parting? I'm putting my hands on the side of the table like Bobby. <laughs> I'm in his chair. Should I put on his hat? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, any final thoughts before we? No, just get out there and have fun. Awesome. Okay. Don't be serious all the time. Go walk <laughs> around in the woods and look at stuff and be curious and yeah. try to figure out what plants you're looking at and, you know, be a sponge. I love it. All right. So this is 
the pilot episode. Um, but we're going to try to do this every couple weeks. We're not going to do it every week, but we're going to kind of aggregate questions and try to plan a little bit and try to, you know, plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least I will. I'm not going to tell you ahead of time. Right. But, uh, we just appreciate y'all listening and follow along with us as we go on. That was fun. Fun. Thanks for listening, people. Thank y'all. We'll see you on the next see one. See y'all. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.